0: So, ladies and gentlemen, welcome to the Giro podcast. Um, I hope you guys are well wherever you are across the world in this coronavirus world that we're living in. Um, But there is good news. I'm joined by a gentleman called Ross Burridge, who is the man behind uh, the Hidden Athlete podcast and the Masaka Cycling Club, which we are going to get into. Um, But Ross, thanks for joining. Jordan, thanks for having us. And let's be honest, thanks for joining again. This is Take Two because of some technical difficulties with the first one.
1: Yeah, well, I'm over here in uh, Torquay, Australia, and you're over there. in where are you actually?
0: I'm in uh, just, just in, in, in leafy Surrey, just south of London.
1: Ah, beautiful. We can be forgiven.
0: We, yeah, it's, uh, sometimes these, these, these things happen. Um, yeah. Well, Ross, firstly, thank you so much for joining me. Um, it goes without saying, I'm a, I'm a really big fan of what you do
1: thanks uh, from the podcast
0: right to the work you do in uganda and i just wanted to kind of take the opportunity to hear a little bit more about um, what it is that you do and share with our listeners your stories um, and just delve a little bit deeper into it so from my uh from my standpoint i first got or became aware of of you through a social media post from sarah hammond yeah and she uh, essentially put out a you know a a, a post saying anybody who has any spare cycling kit hit up Ross Barrage cheesy man um the hidden athlete podcast I said oh what's this so sure enough I put up my hands and I said I've got lots of kit (laughs) got 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 in contact with you and um shipped about eight large DHL boxes your way from the UK to Australia um and that was how we first got interacting
1: yeah mate i First things first, I've got to thank Durocycles for for the generosity, mate. Like honestly, to get that stuff was unbelievable, and I know it cost you a lot of money to get it there, but it's uh, it's made a huge difference, and just really appreciate you f- for reaching out, and certainly appreciate Sarah for for passing the details on.
0: Well, I mean, it's our it's our pleasure. Um, you know, it's nice to. Uh, I mean, we'll, we'll we'll get into a little bit later what it is, you know, that, that kit went to, but uh, it was just nice to be involved in something a little bit more significant than the normal things that we do day to day. So um, thank you for doing that.
1: Nah, no probs, mate. Look forward to sharing the details.
0: And then, so, you know, that initial kind of, um, interaction and conversation led me on to finding more about your podcast called the hidden athlete podcast so for any listeners out there you're looking for another podcast um i highly 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 recommend (laughs) the hidden athlete podcast um ross why don't you give me a little bit of a overview as to what the podcast is um and how long you've been going who you've been speaking to
1: yeah well it goes back about uh two and a half years now which is not that long um in time really, the way time Mm. flies these days. But, um, you know, over 200,000 downloads later, we've um, got got a pretty cool following, so.
0: That's great.
1: But the the name sort of says it all. It's it's a real focus on endurance athletes and adventurers um, from around the world, particularly, mainly in Australia, because that's where I'm based. Mm. And they're face-to-face interviews with endurance athletes or adventurers. just sharing their life story. So we all know uh, all about mainstream media and non-mainstream, although I just feel like these athletes have got an amazing story to tell. Um, mm. And so basically I took up the fight to share their stories with the rest of the world and, mm. and people are gravitating to us, but the response to the listeners uh, has been incredible.
0: I, I suppose what I really appreciate about what you do is, is you do speak to a lot of, you know, Varying people, but it's not about their achievements so much. It's more about who they are as people. Yeah. And that certainly is something that I think resonates with a lot of people and, and myself included, um, because it's more than just the adventure. It's more than just the title of what it is they've achieved, but they've got their own story that's got them and compelled them to do these amazing feats of human human performance.
1: Yeah, it's, it's been interesting because... Like even people like yourself, Jordan, you might you might scroll down through the episodes and not recognise too many names, but no. w- once you get into the stories, uh, they're incredible stories about incredible people. So, mm. um, like my sweet pot spot is ultra cycling, so that's the yeah. area that comes really natural to me. But some mm. of the people that we've actually spoken to, as you know, mm. uh, are a, th- a long way removed from ultra cycling. So yeah,
0: the one that comes to mind that I just I just absolutely uh find fascinating was ant williams ah, who's incredible. Uh, who's just the most <laughs> amazing guy he's a sports psychologist and who wanted to take up a, a hobby to kind of push himself so he could have some sort of reference uh, when speaking to these athletes and the, the hobby that he picked up was free diving which essentially is holding your breath for as long as possible and, and diving down as deep as possible. It's just crazy. This guy's on another planet. It was the most, I mean, credit to you. It was the most brilliant conversation with him. Um,
1: yeah. oh, it's like, that's, that's a great example of one episode that, you know, people might scroll past and not take the time to have a listen to. Mm. But as you know, um, if mm. you listen to Aunt William's story, like, Half the time I felt like I was out of breath because you know, oh. as he as he describes the technical side of free diving, it's just unbelievable. So
0: it's it is unbelievable. Um, the one bit in particular in that that just got me going was was how he talks about when you're diving down, your body passes a point where it start, where it becomes where it stops becoming buoyant, so you just start falling.
1: And that's as, that's as low as oh, that's as. Um, only 20 meters down from memory and how the story so goes.
0: After 20 meters, your body just starts falling in water and there's only one way up. Yeah. And you've got to swim back up and it's just – and so then you're fighting against those forces, you know, that have been pulling you down and now trying to keep you down and you're swimming up through that. It's just remarkable. Um, oh, incredible. So that was definitely a nice – yeah, I'd say welcome relief from the world of cycling into yeah. some other sport. Um, but so tell me, how did you how did you get into these podcasts? And who were the first people that you started to um to interview? And, you know, where where has it gone since then?
1: Yeah, I, I just I don't know, it's it's like anything, you know, why do we get into anything? Like for me, endurance athletes and adventurers have sort of been intrigued I've been intrigued by them for, for forever really. Mm. And sort of dabbled in that area myself a little bit here and there, but just you know when you when you're competing in some of these events and you just see the crazy that these guys are, are putting out it's just yeah it's just unbelievable and and you know like these are just freak athletes that no one even yeah. has heard of or very yeah. few people have heard of so and so I was just keen to to get amongst it and try and you know help those guys share their stories and and I just, just sort of felt that it, um, there might be a, a little niche area out there of people that, that might be intrigued and could learn mm. something from what they, they go through and their story. So It
0: certainly is intriguing. Um, you, you know, through another connection that we have is, 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 is through Curve. Obviously, you know a lot of the Curve crew pretty well. We've been working with them here at Jira for about four years. And before then, one of our regular um, customers who's now a Curve Uh, ambassador a guy called Matt Falconer we were out on a ride on a Sunday and and he was really excited he got accepted into the TCR and I had no idea what that was yeah (laughs) I had absolutely no clue what the the transcontinental race was and then so from that point it just opened up this world to you know you know covering extraordinarily large distances solo unsupported um on varying road surfaces um and then we got in contact with Curve and uh, or rather you know we just happened to meet curve and start working ever since so it's become normal but it is interesting so Matt does a we'll do a couple of races each year and whenever he comes back we normally go up to our local like pub and you know have some celebratory drinks with him and so often some locals will ask you know what are you celebrating and i remember this one time in particular we were talking about well he Matt Matt finished second in the in the TCR um i think it was two or three years ago and Uh, Which is an amazing achievement, Um, and we everybody's dot watching it from home. And so they were the the local sort of you know customers were asking you know well what's that, and essentially we said well he's just cycled on his own about four thousand kilometres in ten days, and (laughs) their faces just dropped. They were like what. And it's like, yeah. And, and for Matt, he's just so humble about it. He's like, well, you know, whatever. I just rode my bike. And I suppose that's the stories in there's because there is no prize money at the end of it. There is no big award. There's just that sense of achievement and that sense of adventure. And for so many people, that is a foreign, foreign world, myself included. Um, and it's great that you're taking the opportunity to kind of shine light on, on, on not only the achievements, but the the individuals behind that the individuals that make them tick
1: yeah people like matt who i'd love to speak to one day and i know you already oh, have it. You, should, you should definitely you should
0: definitely get him on your podcast
1: uh one day yeah i definitely will but you know that's you just gave a great explanation or a great example of how humble these guys are mm. um like all of these elite athletes are just roaming around in the streets out there that just go about their business incredibly yep. humble people um probably don't really care too much about whether they share their story or not but you know what i've experienced through sharing these stories is when they get the opportunity to share uh, their achievements they're they're extremely grateful and the feedback that Mm. we're getting from the public has just just been extraordinary so yeah really fortunate to to be able to get those stories out there
0: i mean matt's a great example as you know as in many of the people that you've you've interviewed and i mean he takes annual leave um to go do these, these, this extraordinary physical achievement that if you were to put it in context of maybe some other sports, you may largely be talking about professional athletes that would have time to train and would have support. And there is definitely starting to be a transition into that. There are certainly a few more riders that have support that are allowed to kind of train a bit more. But the vast, vast, vast majority of people are taking time out of their holidays to go and do these races sometimes unpaid and they have a few days recovery and for Matt that's the best time like when the the photos that we used to get from Matt when he'd finish in Greece or in Turkey he'd have he'd finish the race as quickly as possible and have four or five days of just eating ice cream mainly and a couple of beers and, and a kebab every now and again um and then back to more ice cream and then he'd come home and he'd go to work and that was yeah. it and it was it's just the most crazy thing um I mean Jesus, if I'd ridden 4,000 kilometres in 10 days, I'd be telling everybody about it. (laughs) I'd want a documentary written, done about me.
1: (laughs) (laughs) Don't you love it, though? Just don't you love the humility? I love it. That's great. Like I'm 75 episodes in and, you know, other than a couple of um, professional triathletes, you know, most of the athletes are just self-funded, chasing dreams, doing what they Mm. love. Just happen to be, you know, some are born with an absolute natural talent, but some, mm. you know, most just work their absolute ass off to achieve what they do for nothing in return other than, you know, self-satisfaction pretty much. So, so. the,
0: of the people that you've, and you've done what, 70, 78 episodes, 77 75, episodes? 75, oh, 75, yeah. yeah. Mm. And so of those 75 people, who are some of the people that really stand out That of conversations that you've either just really enjoyed for the personality side of things or really kind of had an impact on you.
1: Um, there's a lot in there, but mm. maybe I'll draw your attention to maybe some non cycling ones just to try okay. and attempt your List listeners up a bit. To, yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah, to have a listen to some crazy stories. Well, episode uh, 52, the aunt Williams one totally recommend that. If you, if yeah, you don't, it's a good one. If you listen to that, you'll, you'll love that story, but there's a couple in here I just wrote down. Um, there's one here. Uh, I think it was around about episode forty. Uh, his name's Brian Millett. He's an mm-hmm. Australian Ironman triathlete. Um, but what's unique about Brian is he has been an alcoholic and a drug addict for twenty years, mm. and he's still recovering. Um, but through triathlon, he he tells this story like it's really. It's a really emotional story and it was interesting Mm. doing a face-to-face with him Mm. because he's shuffling around in his chair like he's clearly dealing with some demons today. Yeah,
0: yeah, yeah, yeah.
1: The detail he goes into on how he's navigated his way through his life and kept himself alive to this point is just incredible. But he's used triathlon and he shares this story about how he used triathlon to get himself um, back on the straight and narrow and he ended up discovering that he had a... Huge talent, and is one of the best age group triathletes in Australia and in the world. So, oh, really? Yeah, you know, I think he's from memory. He's been qualified for Kona, you know, four or five times. Um, Jesus, just an incredible athlete, incredible story. So that's Brian Millett, uh, right. episode forty-two-ish, I think. Probably the only other couple I'd love to love to give a shout out to is um, episode twenty, which is a, a lady called Deanna Blake. Mm-hmm. Now, Deanna's the world's toughest mother. Oh, so yeah. yeah, this was a good one. Yeah, so she has an incredible story. I won't give too much away, but if you listen to this story, you'll shake your head 20 times over on, yeah. on how this person is still walking the earth today. Yeah. It's just incredible, incredible story. And probably the last one we'll um, give a bit of a shout-out to is a guy called Tim Spiteri. Hmm. Now, he's an ocean rower, so okay. can, can you imagine rowing a boat from Australia to South Africa or across no. all the all the major oceans around the world in a rowboat,
0: no. Jordan? No, definitely not. Definitely not, mate, no. <laughs> no. <laughs>
1: this, it's just, this was just so fascinating to me because it was just such a laconic chat, like another mm. humble athlete, and Tim's just sitting there Going, oh yeah, yeah, T-bone this T-bone this whale one day, and yeah, I nah, me, my boat flipped over. I thought I was going to die. You know all these little things that he talks about mm. that you wouldn't. Mm. Um, you just think, oh my god! Like mm. again, how, how are you sitting in front of me today? I got no idea. Mm. But but there's all those all those sorts of stories littered through through some of these episodes. But um, yeah, those ones I loved.
0: The that you know with some of these people, as I say, they're 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 from our standpoint, their achievements are superhuman. Um but that level of humility and level of I'm not sure what the word is, I don't know if it's a contentment or just a calm is just it's unbelievable. And yeah. speaking with Jimmy last week, um, you know, he when we spent some time together in the UK and it it just really struck me and again when we spoke last week via this podcast um it really struck me And, and he said a few things in there one of which was he almost realized the danger to it but he was just so happy to be able to do what he loves and so no matter what the danger, he knows that he, he would get through it. And no matter what the difficult times, he know that he would get through it because he's just doing what he loves. And he said to some people that might be selfish. And I, I kind of raised that point to say, I'm not sure it is selfish because in the moment, yes, it could be seen as that because you're maybe having a disregard for the people that care for you. And you know, you know, you're putting yourself in danger, but actually the stories that you will get from that and the development internally that you will get from that if you're able to then go on to share that with other people that is far from selfish and that seems to be the story with a lot of people that you speak to and a lot of people that have done these extraordinary things that in the case of jimmy an extraordinary age in that being able to share an experience to be an inspiration or just to kind of give a bit of perspective to people that maybe wouldn't have the opportunity to do that is 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 really remarkable and that's why one of the reasons i love your podcast because you're just hearing these stories of people and it just puts you in your place sometimes you're like man i'm complaining about you know not being able to find the right you know nut milk at the shop
1: oh <laughs> <laughs> uh, mate I, c- I couldn't agree with you more like how good's jimmy ashby jeepers
0: oh he's he's a remarkable young man
1: yeah, remarkable, and you know, here I am. I'm 53, and we're talking about an 18 or oh, 20 year yeah. old now. 20 year okay. old, yeah. Um, and the inspiration that he gives us, you know, mm. as as uh, adults, like you can imagine what this kid is doing for his generation mm. uh, that hear his story. So you know, like for me, it's it's just it's almost like a privilege to be able to share his story. Uh, and and I can see the downloads and people sharing his story and uh, talking about it. Like mate, I just I just hope that uh, that story penetrates as many young ad- adults as as it possibly can. So yeah, absolutely. Yeah, incredible kid.
0: Absolutely. Um, so obviously, you've now got seventy five. So how did you how did you get into it? How did you start? Who were the first people that you approached and and what was it? You know, yeah. that kind of got 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 you going.
1: Uh, I'm a bit, of a, I'm a bit I'm a bit of an introvert, so mm. I'm not huge on the social side. So, but I have just uh, a bit of a fanboy of these types of athletes just sitting back mm. and just watching what, how they go about their business and And you know largely a lot of these athletes I've found are, are quite introvert in, in their own mm. right as well. but mm. so once the podcast era started to, to unfold, I um, bought some basic equipment and just um, approached a couple of good mates who just so happened to be world champs uh, okay. that, that live locally and said, This is what I want to do. I want to share the stories. I want to share your story for a start, but just get a bit of a feel for the appetite of the community and just see if anyone's interested in it. And, and mate, to be honest, like, um, yeah, you know, I'm lucky enough that some of these athletes have got pretty pretty uh large social following so they get the story out there pretty quick for you and and the appetite was huge. So yeah, and yeah, it's pretty pretty stoked with how it's going. So
0: And so you've you've got a bit of experience of of, of racing yourself. So did that start before doing the podcast or was this after?
1: Uh it was probably a bit before and during So been doing a bit of endurance stuff, but mm. just mid Mid pack hack stuff, Jordan. I'm not <laughs> not elite by no, any means.
0: No, I'm 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 <laughs> there, I'm there with you, buddy. No, no problem at all.
1: Yeah, no. I've, I've always done a little bit of endurance and adventure stuff, but um, yeah. I just yeah just got to know because I was mixing in those circles. Just got to know know people, and mm-hmm. um, yeah. Certainly in the the ultra cycling stuff, it sort of kicked off in a big way for me when I was chasing um, Jesse Carlson and Mm. Liam Crowley's dot on the Tour Divide. I I can't remember the year. It was like 2014 or something. Mm. And sort of from that point on, I I ramped up a bit of of my um, ultra stuff. So, yeah, just inspired by those sort of guys to get out there and, and push the boundaries a little bit and just see what I'm capable of.
0: Great. So um what what have you done? What races have you done?
1: Um done had two goes at the tour divide, failed in the first one. I uh, okay. got it got it done last year. Uh, oh,
0: last year, fantastic. Congratulations. Yeah,
1: got it done last year on a single speed. So um, So for
0: those who are listening that don't know what the tour divide is, uh, yeah, quickly sum that up. What is the tour divide?
1: Uh, It's a self-supported bikepacking race from Banff, Canada to Antelope Wells on the border of New Mexico, Mexico. So Hmm. it basically follows the continental divide. Um, So it's an off-road, unsupported race uh, that's 4,500 k's long uh, with about 65,000 metres of climbing. So Good heavens. It's it's probably the granddaddy of uh, or known as the granddaddy of uh, bikepacking. Like the route's tough but... It might not be as tough as some races around out there at the moment, but just the, the romance and, and the route itself is just phenomenal. I love, I love the place.
0: So as it's mainly off-road, how, how, what are the distances between towns or stops where you can refuel? Because I'm presuming you're going to have to be carrying a lot of food and a lot of water.
1: Yeah, it's, it all comes down to timing. But, mm. um, you know, on this route... There's pretty regular places where you can refuel and you can pull a a shitload of water out of the ground. Like you're you're riding through some of the most beautiful um, parts of the world like the Canadian Rockies and following the the continental divide all the way down. So there's lots of fresh water. Yeah, spring as well. It's amazing. Yeah, so it really just comes down to, to where you can get your food. And you know you might have a couple of days, two or three days, where you don't have food and you have to carry it. But it's a pretty safe route, other than the creatures. Um, so yeah, I'd recommend yeah. A- anyone to have a crack at it.
0: So the the creatures. <laughs>
1: <laughs> That's, yeah, the- that
0: for, for 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 someone who's born and raised in the UK, where the only creatures we have are like the occasional fox. Yeah. Tell me tell me about the creatures, because I'm already my palms already sweating.
1: Yeah. So well, the, I think the tour divides well known for for its bear activity. So
0: oh my god! Right, so,
1: okay. Car- so you go through. I think until you until you get down or until you get out of Colorado, which is probably about I don't know three and a half thousand k's. Um, there's always a lot of bear activity around, so everyone's on bear watch. So you can go down the route. You're going to see a bear. So it's just a matter of whether you see two or ten. Um, Jesus. And then So what's
0: the if you see a bear, what's the what's the protocol?
1: Uh well everyone's got to carry bear spray. Okay. So that's your only mode of defence. That uh, doesn't sound
0: like a lot. <laughs>
1: <laughs> nah, nah, so it's a bit creates a bit of anxiety, Jordan, as you can imagine. But Gosh. um, you know, some of the times, you know, when you're en route, you are pretty exhausted, so you can be a bit mm. lax in your in your attention around that sort of stuff. But but, yeah, cougars, I saw one cougar, heaps of, um, not, not wolves, but um, oh, what's what are they called? Coyotes? Coyotes, that's it, sorry. Yeah. Heaps of coyotes, heaps of snakes, Gosh. heaps of bears. Oh, I only saw three bears, sorry. Um, wow. But, yeah, I didn't feel, I didn't really feel unsafe at and all. And I
0: suppose, you know, you're going knowing that this is a well-trodden route and there's lots of other riders doing the same thing.
1: Yeah, yeah. So the first first uh, 10 days there's a lot of riders. You're yo-yoing mm. a lot of riders but, you know, it spreads out after that so you could be riding for days by yourself. Mm. Um, but, yeah, it's probably I think the bigger worry for a race like that is just the people, you know. <laughs> people mm. are probably because yeah, you're really. in. In some pretty remote areas, and you know, you see some pretty weird stuff out there, but um, Gosh. yeah, I'm, I'd be more concerned about the people than the creatures, to be honest.
0: So, how long did it take you to do then?
1: So, uh, sorry, how,
0: how, how far was it? 5,000 kilometers, four and a
1: half thousand. Four and a half, okay. yeah, it took me 25 days, so I amazing, I averaged 175 k's a day, which is pretty slow by tour divide terms, I so. Mean-
0: yeah, but I mean, you're talking about some elite level races. But I mean, t- to do 175 kilometers a day off road for 25 days—that's remarkable. Right. Uh, definitely don't don't undermine that. That's, that's <laughs> a heck of an achievement.
1: Uh, it's definitely a mid-pack position, mate. But when you mm. when you see the um, the pointy end guys doing it in you know 15 15 days, I think the record's 13 and a half days. Yeah, and they're averaging well over 300 k's a day. Like that is extraordinary. So
0: tying in back to some of the podcasts that you've done with those people that are at the pointy end of these races. Obviously you've been fortunate enough to kind of speak to and, and interview a fair few of them. Um, you know, we, you know, we can talk about Abdullah and, and, uh, Jesse and a few others. In your opinion, do you feel that there is one or two traits that can link these guys together or guys and girls together? Um, or is it, has everyone just got their own story?
1: Um, everyone's got their own story. Like, mm. you know, what, what I've found is all of these athletes are incredibly introvert. Yeah, um, I think that's the common, most common thing. Um, they love enjoying their own time, so, yeah. which helps because um, you can imagine, you know, they're probably churning out 500Ks a week, you know, just in training. Um, in some pretty gnarly conditions, so I think that that's definitely a common trait. Mm. Um, very, very humble, mate. All of them, mm. like they're just they're just people too. Like mm. they don't not pretending to be superstars or anything like yeah. that. Just incredible athletes with incredible mm. inner drive. Mm. Humble, introvert. Um, yeah, incredible people. They really really inspire me. Anyway,
0: mm. well, hopefully for the, our listeners who get onto your podcast, they'll, they'll feel just as inspired. Um, have you got any other races that you're doing that you've got coming up?
1: Uh, I was going to do the French Divide in August, but that's now been shelved for obvious reasons. Mm. Um, mm. Looking at Race to the Rock over here in Aussie, okay. cool. there's there's a 2,500k race from Adelaide uh, to Uluru, mm. which is a, a oh, not so much a curve event, but just a Jesse Carlson sort of yeah. uh, map route um so i think there's going to be quite a few aussies lining up for that because um we'll all the
0: other races have been <laughs> you know, given that a crack yeah
1: yeah there's a lot a lot of people that i know that were lined up for tour divide or um you know some other uh, silk road french divide mm. all those other races mm. but um everyone's keen to make use of all that training so in mm. september fingers crossed hopefully we get to race race to the rock
0: yeah what about the rhino run is that on your on your radar
1: Oh, I don't think this year. don't think that mm. I'll be able to get there this year. I'm sort of in the back of my mind thinking Tour Divide 2021 on gears. Oh, cool. So just tweaking the queue sheet a little bit as we speak. And, That's fun. And uh, I think I might go back and try and do a, a sub-20 run down that route on a geared Amazing. bike, so we'll see how we go.
0: Very cool. Um, Are you yeah, keen, mate? Indeed.
1: You doing anything?
0: So, do you know, it, I mean, the, the short answer is, at the moment, I just work way too hard. Um, if you had spoken to me about this um, a few years ago, I would have gone, no way, this sounds crazy. I'll let you guys do it. I'll supply you bikes, no problem. But I have to say, the more that I've kind of been around it, and the more that I have you know, been around some of the riders and, and people, um, it's definitely, it is really, really keen. Now, Rhino's trying to get me in to do the, the first part of the Rhino run uh which could could happen for sure um but yeah i it, look in the next couple of years i definitely will
1: oh, maybe at the not. moment
0: i'm i'm definitely just juggling way too many uh way too many balls but um yeah I, it's it's something that i would that i have come to appreciate but i i, I think i would absolutely love again mid mid pack hack not not trying <laughs> to sort not trying to prove anything um but uh yeah no i think it is Especially something like the Rhino Run or the or the Tour Divide, you're just experiencing some of the best of nature, and yeah. being able to do it self-propelled is, I think, something very romantic. And I, yeah, I, I love that.
1: Yeah. Word of warning, though, mate, it's highly addictive. So once you, oh, I know. once you sort of break that seal and go out well, there and understand what's out there, you're just you're just hungry for more. So well,
0: it's it's been amazing over here in the last kind of year. There has been a, a, a and you know, there's pros and cons to this, but there has been a huge um, surge in people signing up to things like the TCR, and it's much more of a lengthy ballot system now. Um, and we just had the, so that the Atlas Mountains race uh, that yeah. just happened. Look, I mean, it's amazing that people are entertaining the idea of doing it. I think there is a element of it that gives me a little bit of um, anxiety in that people are definitely going to these races unprepared yeah. and not really understanding fully the significance of what it is they're about to undertake um from a wellness perspective from a preparation perspective um you know because you are at times in the middle of nowhere yeah and if you run out of food that's you run out of food like there's no there's no other way out and i don't think i mean i'm speaking generally but i certainly do know of a lot of people that have pulled the pin because they just haven't been prepared
1: yeah, I definitely, you know, from from my limited experience, I definitely recommend they embark on a few mm. shorter ones early on. Yeah, absolutely. Just, just to get a bit of a feel for, for how it works because mm. you can find yourself in some pretty remote areas mm. that you've got to nav- navigate through in your head. Mm. Mm. Um, yeah, so echo your thoughts, mate.
0: And then, I mean, with the adventure side of things, there is uh, me and a few friends have got a bit of a, a list of places that we want to go um, and just literally take our bikes, get to an airport and just see where we go. Um, so Japan has been top of the list, so that's something that we are hoping to do. We were hoping to do this year, but obviously with the circumstances that won't be happening, but next year maybe, you know, book out like a, a you know, 3-4 weeks and just see see where see where it takes us. So that's something that we're quite excited about.
1: Yeah, well that's that's the beauty about bikepacking, isn't it? It doesn't mm. have to be a race. You can just exactly. hang, out, hang out with mates and go exploring. Yeah, exactly.
0: Exactly. Um, so the other part that i'd love to talk to you about is the work that you're doing with masaka cycling club um so for the listeners just give a again just give a bit of an overview as to what that is and i'd love to kind of and obviously that's how we first got started with with yourself just kind of supporting that um so yeah how, how did you get in intertwined with masaka cycling club in and your work in uganda
1: yeah, well this is something I'm very very passionate about and I think yeah. if, if you've got um, if I've got any followers over there that have been listening to the podcast or, or following you know Instagram you'll know that for sure but yeah um, a lot of my my work um, what I do for a living is I work for a foundation called the Cottonham Foundation and most of my work time is based in Uganda um, working on different uh, humanitarian projects so um, for those that have been into underdeveloped countries you might be able to relate to some of the things I'm I'm sharing but when you're in these regions um, you get a quick understanding of what or how little uh, these people survive on day to day and and just over my, over my year, in many years of being in these sort of regions, you sort of get to know the people and and get to understand um, what they what they do and don't have. But from a cycling perspective, um, I was over there just before Tour Divide last year, and I was doing a lot of training by myself and and got to know a group of people uh, in this region called Masaka, which is down in the south of Uganda, a very poor region of Uganda. And they were riding around on these um, just street bikes, which are just serious clunkers, mate, like 20-kilo bikes, and um, befriended them, and they uh, uh, trained with me. Um, We got to know each other. Um, I later discovered that one of them was a former national uh, road cycling champion. Oh, really? Yeah, so two thousand and sixteen national road cycling champion, and um, probably where it really started to to move forward this little project was when they invited me to come and race one of their club races, and this is me on my Flash single speed mountain bike, Jordan. Yeah, of course, yeah. All all these guys on their twenty kilo clunkers, and mate, it was a forty. It was a four lap ten k's, ten k's each lap, so forty k race and. Mate, I couldn't see him in in literally five minutes. I couldn't see the the rider in front of me. I was that far behind. Skinned. Yeah, it's just totally skinned. And you know, in this during this event, the whole village comes out. Like it's like yeah, a wow. It's like a um, you know, it's a real event. Like it puts smile on people's people's faces. And the mm. fact that there was a Mzungu there, a white a white person racing, which is totally <laughs> unique. Yeah. They laugh their heads off at, at oh, that's me, so funny. <laughs> but just to uh, you know, knowing what these people go through day to day, and to see the smiles yeah. and the laughter and and all that yeah. sort of stuff, really stuck with me that day. Yeah. So I started this this little project called Masaka Cycling Club, and and basically just called out to friends and family um, for support uh, in terms of cycling gear, which is what mm. um, you referred to earlier with Sarah and yourself. Yeah. And bikes, so it started with that and, you know, literally within two or three months I had 25 bikes and I'm talking about S-Works, quality type, race-ready bikes, Mm. donated for free, Jordan, Mm. and, you know, hundreds and hundreds of dollars worth of kit um, donated Mm. by amazing people like yourself, mate. And because I go over there so regularly I can, you know, take two bikes at a time and a heap of apparel and this all just started and I thought, you know the when i started dropping all this gear off to this group of people like just the look on their face and like it really just started to resonate resonate with me and i thought oh mate i have got to do i've got to do more than this like just to yeah. s- see these people empower these people to chase their dreams it's a passion project mate so so really just started to formalize it and and broaden the call out to cycling fans around the world, essentially. Mm. And all my podcast listeners um, who are amazing, amazing followers of the project. And basically what we're trying to do is is attract around about 150, 200 cycling enthusiasts from around the world, Mm. donating a small amount every month. And when I say small amount, Jordan, like, three quid a month in your case okay yeah wow three quid or, f- or five quid a month if I if we can get 150 cycling fans from around the world donating those those sorts of money it'll give us twenty thousand Australian dollars a year to formally set up uh, this cycling club which we have done already so we've at this stage we've attracted um, 98 donors and we're raising we're up to 13 and a half grand Per annum, but we just need to get it up to that 150, 200 donors, and it'll be a, a people funded program that are basic that's basically empowering um, these elite level cyclists in this in one of the poorest uh, locations in the world mm. to to chase some cycling dreams. Mm. And um, you know some of those dreams have already started for them. We've we've taken them to Kenya to race the best in Kenya already. Mm. Um we had uh, in that particular example, there were 145 starters in that peloton, and all four of our guys that we took over there finished in the top 17 and in the actual wow. uh, lead pack. So that's amazing. And this is on the new bikes that have been donated, so yeah. you can imagine what this is doing for this community and these people. So good, mate. It, it's extraordinary. So, so well, I love,
0: I love, I love. Um, something you just said there you know obviously your your experience and your time out there you realize you've got to do more yeah as in it's you know there was a you know you were compelled to do more it wasn't just something that oh this would be a nice idea I don't know we've got to do more this is it doesn't really take much yeah so in in real terms what does that look like for an individual who's kind of been born and raised out there um how do they get involved in the cycling club and you know from your standpoint what's that journey like to kind of see and 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 even just further than just the cycling progression but as on an individual basis on a on a on a personal basis what does that what does that mean to that that boy or girl or you know or or man or lady who's who's becoming a part of this cycling club
1: yeah it's incredible I wish I could find some words to explain it but um um best way I could probably explain it is if you could imagine yourself, Jordan, um, every day is survival day for you. Mm-hmm. So if you're generating equivalent of $40 a month, which I'm guessing is around about 20 quid a month, mm-hmm. um, through whatever you can scratch around and, and do to, to generate that sort of money um, over in Uganda just to put food on the table, mm-hmm. um, that's... that's that was the life of some of these cyclists for 40,
0: 40 bucks a month yeah
1: 40 yeah, anyway. bucks a month so mm. so and they would do that through working in fields or mm. a little uh, bike mechanic shop or mm. whatever they could whatever they could do to scratch a little bit of money together to feed their family mm. and then you know so what we've done as part of this this program and through these donor funds is is put together some cycling scholarships so We've leased some premises, so they've got a home where they can congregate and and uh, socialise. We've put on a full-time administrator, which is basically doubling as the team manager. Uh, we've got two or one full-time coach, one part-time coach. Um, we've also got um, uh, a scholarship program going at the moment, where so the young young writers that show a lot of dedication and and um, uh, a lot of uh, there's a number of traits that they've got to got to demonstrate to qualify for one of these scholarships. But just the simple nature of these scholarships is that it provides them with with twenty dollars a month, for example, uh, wow. t- to free them up from some of their pop, some of the day to day stuff that they have to do to, to yeah. be able to train um, mm. and be coached um, to chase their dreams as a cyclist mm. and. And a lot of the funds, or the majority of the funds from this program, will fund as many cyclists as we can to to go to Kenya, Rwanda, Tanzania, um, hopefully South Africa, you know, hopefully UAE, mm. hopefully places like Spain, for these guys mm. to actually sh- uh, chase their dreams and showcase their talent. But and it's within reach. Like we've got, mm. like I said, nearly a hundred. 100 donors already on board. If we get 150, 200 donors, you know, these guys could be racing outside of Uganda half a dozen times a year. Right. Uh, and can you, can you imagine that going from one day scratching around trying to put you know, a banana on the table for dinner, mm. Mm. Uh, one meal a day, and then all of a sudden they're, they're riding S-Works around um, racing the best East African cyclists. Uh, they're out a race. So.
0: And performing too.
1: And performing. Huge yeah. talent, huge talent. I mean, what so,
0: that's got to do to self-confidence is just unbelievable.
1: Yeah, like if you jump onto the Masaka Cycling Club Instagram page, um, mm. you, you'll start to get a bit of a feel for for how far they've come. But but yeah, these guys ge- have genuine elite talent and probably mm. our dream is to maybe expose them enough for to get the interest of a continental team or something like mm. that. And, you know, if we can get... You know, if, if in my lifetime we get one or two guys on a continental team, um, it'll be an incredible outcome. But but really underlying it, it's just the humanitarian sort of elements that that motivate me. It's the mm. putting the smiles on the faces, giving them the opportunity to chase their dreams. And Absolutely,
0: be- and and what that does for that community to kind of see you know one or two, three, four of these, you know, of their community members going out and performing even one day hopefully on a world stage yeah i mean that's that just breathes life into into where there wasn't any before
1: oh absolutely and just one of the one of the things that seriously passionate about is getting you know girls and women mm. uh riding over in uganda because they're you know sadly and it sounds pretty brutal but but they're seriously suppressed and Um, And it's a cultural norm that we're just trying to bash the shit out of and, and, you know, allow these girls and women to have the same opportunities as the the boys and and chase their cycling dreams as well.
0: Well, on that note, I just saw um, your post from I think today or a couple of days ago. Tell me about Florence. Share her story.
1: Yeah, so we have a couple of elite boys um, and... One of them is the national champion, and their father has been a very well-known cyclist in Uganda for for many years, and he's the coach of the club. And they've okay. got this sister called Florence. Mm-hmm. So, um, Florence's story is interesting. I went to the to the boys' uh, home, and I noticed Florence just you know cooking and cleaning and doing everything that's expected of her in that culture. Mm. And I just, I just ask um, Bukanya, the dad, saying, why, why doesn't Florence ride? Like how come she, I never see her out riding a bike? And he sort of indicated mm. to me that oh, Florence has never ridden a bike. Like she just looks after the home and wow. that's, that's just the way it is in Uganda. So it really got me thinking. Um, and having been in a place like Uganda for many, many years, I sort of get a feel for how suppressed, you know, females and, and women are in that in that country. Mm. I sort of really pushed, pushed the boundaries really hard to challenge that cultural norm. And, mm. and, you know, Florence is a great example of, you know, a number of girls now that have emerged and are starting to ride bikes and, and, and race bikes with dreams of going to Kenya with their brothers and things mm. like that. So, and, you know, that's, that's important to me because having Florence riding through villages on, bi- on a bike uh, being recognised as a female chasing dreams sort of empowers, mm. you know, a lot of other women and girls in that area to to do something similar. That's amazing. Yeah.
0: That's just amazing.
1: So, mate, look, I don't know how to say it, but geez, if you've got ten or twenty cycling fans over there in the in the UK that can afford three pounds mm. a month, mm. then hopefully you can share that website where they can be part of a journey like this and.
0: Um, Well, what we'll do is we'll we'll um uh, we're gonna put up a page on our site and we'll put all the links to all all your websites and and social media uh, in this podcast um basically just kind of showing your story and being able to see our kind of local community how we can get behind and, and gather and i'm sure maybe in the future, there's some events that we could do here just to kind of raise awareness of it, and then hopefully, and that translates into kind of direct funds into into what you're doing. Because I, I suppose what I like about and what resonates with 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 myself with what you're doing is that one, it's it's clearly a passion of yours, yeah. So it's it's sincere, but the real the real-time impact that it's having is phenomenal. And like the story of Florence. And I mean, obviously, there has been precedent in the last couple of years, you know, from various African countries or or under underdeveloped parts in some African countries, where you know cyclists are coming through to a pro tour level, and it's great for that individual, but what that means for the community, the wider community, to kind of show the opportunity and the possibility from a very bleak situation, is is really exciting, and if it, and I feel humbled that we're in a position that we can help in some way to do that with yourself
1: yeah mate look I totally agree with you like the the feeling it is a is a passion of mine passionate of of mine but if I can appeal to to your friends and cycling fans around the UK like imagine imagine being part of this little project it's something that you could Mm. feel really proud of for for next to nothing like Mm. I'm sure a pint doesn't cost three pounds a month I've been no, three three pounds these days, so
0: I wish I wish it did. <laughs>
1: yeah, but but for for something as little as that, you can empower Absolutely someone right. like a Florence, um, mm. or mm. someone else in that village to start cycling, mm. um, and you can feel super proud of what you're doing for the cycling community in some of these underdeveloped regions. But mate, mm. I, I just forgot to mention, a hundred percent of that three pound. Goes mm. directly to this club because I get yeah, paid. Perfect. There's no admin. I get paid to go to yeah. Uganda for my job. Like this yeah. is, this yeah, is, that's good to know. this is something where every single cent goes directly yeah. to these these people. And mm. and you know, one day the dream would be to take people like you, Jordan, over mm. there and see them and meet them and feel them and and understand you know the impact that that, that this is having yourself. So maybe down the track well. we can pull that off
0: i think we should definitely aim to do that um i know that's something that we yeah would just be an absolute dream really um i think that's definitely something that we should push towards for sure
1: yeah that'd be an incredible adventure that you will never ever forget believe me
0: cool man um well look ross we'll start to we'll start to wrap things up here um again thank you for joining me again no worries (laughs) no, no uh no technical difficulties this time um but look, I'm, Ross, I'm just a big fan of what you do, um, not only with your podcast, but uh, amazing work with what you're doing with, with Masaka Psyching Club. And, you know, it really is a privilege of ours to be able to kind of help uh, and, and support in some way. And for all of our listeners out there, we'll, we'll make really clear in the, the podcast notes and on our website and um, various ways that what you can do to, to, to get behind it. And I'm sure we'll do some things in the future. So Ross, thank you. Appreciate your time. And uh, looking forward to doing this again sometime.
1: No worries, mate. It's a pleasure
0: man, speak soon. Yeah.